Hey guys, hi, Rulian here. Welcome back to the Switched Podcast, second episode of 2022. If you didn't catch the last episode that we uploaded, we talked about the epic isometric detective RPG called Disco Elysium that I finished recently. We had a really, really good time reviewing that one and talking about it and discussing if I would think it's worthy of a 10 out of 10 rating or not. So definitely go check that episode out. I think it was an interesting sort of deep dive for me into what I consider to be perfect games. Um, But what are we talking about on today's episode, you might be wondering? Well, I'm glad you asked. On today's episode of the Switched Podcast, I'm bringing you the Game Boy episode. And in the Game Boy episode, we're going to talk about every model of the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, and other Game Boy-related devices uh, that I have owned, will own, or anything in between, really. I'm basically going to talk all things Game Boy, kind of recommend some games to you guys, share my love for it, and uh, just kind of have fun gushing about how much I love the Game Boy series as a portable handheld console line. Um, So without further ado, let's hop right into it. No transition. All the first three Game Boys that I actually owned, I no longer have in my possession, unfortunately. And those Game Boys were an Aqua Game Boy Color, an original gray Game Boy, and then a very small and compact black Game Boy Pocket. And these three devices I had when I was very, very young, and I picked them up from various garage sales uh, because my family wasn't always really up to date with the newest consoles and handhelds when I was a kid. Uh, So the only way I ended up getting a portable console to begin with uh, was by finding them at garage sales. And uh, that is how I got my hands on my Game Boy Color and then eventually the original Game Boy and the Game Boy Pocket. And as far as I remember, all three of those devices were traded in to acquire my Game Boy Advances. And for most of the time as a kid where I played the Game Boy Advance, I only ever owned one. And that one was the classic gray, clear Game Boy Advance. And I had that one for so long, and like many people out there, I lost the battery cover, and I played it so much that the battery slot started to get corroded, and I even have an interesting anecdote about how once I sort of gave up on my original Game Boy Advance, it ended up in a box in a basement where for some reason or another, I'm probably guessing it was because I was a little kid and I was probably having snacks while I was playing my Game Boy Advance, it got infested with ants. And I remember digging it out of the basement one time at my grandparents' house and finding it in a box. I think it was a shoebox. And it was literally filled with ants like I could see into the side translucent panel of the Game Boy Advance and I could see ants crawling around inside of it and as I took it out of the box and turned it on due to the heat they all started crawling out 
really, really fucking gross, so sorry if anybody was eating while they were watching this episode, but that Game Boy Advance, the first one that I ever owned, I treated so poorly, and I'm kind of ashamed of it now, to be honest, but I guess everybody's a dumb kid at some point. Uh, But I go on to pick up another of the same kind of Game Boy Advance to replace my original model. I still have my original model cleaned uh, and ant-free, I'm proud to announce. (laughs) But uh, I do have it put away somewhere safe because it's so gross. And instead I have a new clear gray Game Boy Advance and I have the solid color purple Game Boy Advance as well. And for a long time those were my main Game Boy Advance consoles. And I would eventually follow up those two with a Game Boy Player, uh, which was my first ever time getting to experience Game Boy Advance games and Game Boy and Game Boy Color games on a backlit screen. As a kid, I saw a lot of people with SPs in uh, both the, the bottom lit and the backlit versions as well, and I never had the pleasure of owning one as a kid. My first Game Boy Advance SP was not in my possession until I was 17 years old, so that should put into perspective kind of what kind of household I grew up in, not to stereotype myself there. Uh, But in my mind, only the rich kids had the Game Boy Advance SP. But I actually really lucked out with my Game Boy player, so I do want to share part of that story Uh, My Game Boy Player, I got probably around 2009, 2010. And the way I got it was I just walked into a secondhand video game retailer from my local area. And I found one complete but out of the box. And it was like $60 and it was the Game Boy Player itself and the ever-elusive and rare startup disc. And it was by far the best decision I ever made to pick this up because now the Game Boy Player with the startup disc goes online for like easily $120 to $150 and I spent less than half of that back in the day to just get it, you know, in a video game shop where it was just sitting on a shelf. So I'm really, really glad I made that purchase, and it's one of the coolest things I own. Uh, But if you're not familiar, basically the Game Boy Player for the GameCube was straight up just all of the components of a Game Boy Advance strapped into the bottom of a GameCube in its own like little housing where it like uh, just sort of plugged into the bottom of the GameCube. And when you put a disc into the GameCube, what it would do is it would pass all of the hardware from the controller into the Game Boy Advance hardware to use as inputs for the Game Boy Advance. And then it would output all of the screen data through the GameCube out your AV cables to your uh, CRT television or any S-Video compatible device. Um, And I loved it. Honestly, as far as I've heard, the presentation of the Game Boy Player startup discs uh, Game Boy playing itself is awful and I know a lot of mods that people do to their GameCube to add HDMI out completely circumvent using the Game Boy Player startup disc to actually run the 
the Game Boy Advance games because apparently it's really, really bad. And a lot of people use, like, uh, this homebrew tool with their Game Boy players either because they don't have the startup disc or because they want a better experience than using the startup disc. Uh, and if you ever want to check that out, you uh, can soft mod your GameCube. Find just the Game Boy Player without the disc online for relatively cheap, and then use this software called Game Boy Interface, uh, which will basically let you play all your Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance games on the TV through your GameCube uh, at much higher quality than the OG Game Boy Player startup disc will allow you to. So uh, there's something to think about if you want to play Game Boy games on your TV as legitimately as possible. But we're going to get into some other stuff down the line here uh, with some other options that have come out recently as far as playing your Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games on a TV. Um, but other than that, from there, I also managed to pick up uh, two Game Boy Advance SPs. My first was purchased for me by my girlfriend, now fiance, on our first Valentine's Day together as a gift because we were in a secondhand video game store one time and we saw this rare Onyx uh, silver combination model and she saw how much I wanted it so she went back and picked it up and got it for me. The second Game Boy Advance SP I picked up has a much more uh, kind of crazy story, so I'm going to get into that. It's not as sweet as my girlfriend, now fiancé, picking it up as a memento of one of our dates. Uh, but it was more of a lucky pull from like a video game collector standpoint, so I'm going to get into that next and then talk about my Game Boy Micros that I have as well. Now, I already mentioned how I got my first Game Boy Advance SP uh, due to my fiance buying it for me for Valentine's Day, our first year of our relationship. Uh, and that was because she saw me ogling it at a secondhand video game store. Um, well, it just so happened that another day I was in town at a similar secondhand video game store. I believe it was one like a block away from the other one. And I spotted something that I'd never seen before in there. There was a Game Boy Advance SP that was not a color I had ever seen before. And this color is kind of like a maroon, like darker red, like reddish purple kind of color. And I had never, ever, ever seen it before in any official capacity listed anywhere. And so my first thought was, maybe it's a case swap. Well, then I looked at the back of it because I had the guy get it out of the glass case for me so I could look at it. And the, uh, the model number was AGS-001 which, in case you're not aware of the Game Boy Advance SP lore, the AGS-001 is the first model of Game Boy Advance SP, and it's basically the one that's bottom lit, so it means that there's a light on the very bottom of the screen that shines onto the screen from the, from the bottom to the top. And it's not as bright as the second model they did, which was backlit, which is called the AGS-101, 
Um, and when I looked at the back of this, it was in Japanese, all, a lot of the text, uh, but I did notice that it said AGS001. Um, and so I was instantly like, all right, I've already got an AGS001. I really don't need another one. This is a really cool color, though. Um, and the guy's like, you want me to turn it on so you can see? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he turned it on, and that screen was beautiful. And I mean beautiful. Um, it definitely was not a bottom-lit screen. And this store uh, that I go to is a fairly reputable chain of second-hand game stores that's kind of around in all of the major cities near where I live. Um, and their pricing model at the time, if I recall, was somewhere around like $60 for an AGS-001 and more like $80-85 for an AGS-101. And this particular model was listed as an AGS-001, so it was at that price when in fact that was definitely an AGS-101 screen. I could tell because I owned a 001 at the time and it looked so much more bright and colorful than the one that I already had. So even though I did not know what was going on with the case, I kind of assumed that this was a Japanese AGS-101 or something along the lines and I bought it and the guy who sold it to me was even like, oh, that's that was a pretty nice one. I was thinking about picking it up myself if nobody did by the end of the day. And I think I really got lucky with this. As well. And this is one of my more interesting and lucky actual pulls as far as uh, my Game Boy collection goes. Other than some, which I'll tell you about down here in a moment. Uh, but basically, what I managed to discern is... This Game Boy Advance SP was originally an AGS-101 that somebody reshelled with a very official looking and feeling uh, maroon third-party shell. And what I mean by very official looking and feeling is I looked up pictures of Japanese Game Boy Advance SPs and this looked like all the stickers and markings and labels and everything looked identical to a Japanese AGS-001 and AGS-101. So I thought, like, there's no way that this is, like, not a Japanese one or something like that. But it turns out it was just a case swap. I did actually manage to find the exact listing for my shell on eBay, but nowhere else. And it was just a really, really nice case swap AGS-101 that I ended up getting for significantly cheaper than I was supposed to because whoever priced it and put it on the shelf obviously did not really take the time to turn it on and realize it was a 101 and mark it as a 101 price tag instead of a 001. So I got a nice little deal on it. And to this day, that case swapped maroon AGS-101 is my main Game Boy Advance SP. And when I was doing my research for this podcast episode and uh, digging through my Game Boy collection, I was experiencing all those games again on this AGS-101 that I have. And this is my favorite Game Boy that I own, probably. Um, for the most part, I mean, it can play everything. It's got 
the biggest screen. It's got the best screen, in my opinion. And uh, once I get into my GB Micros that I have, you'll kind of understand why I'm hesitant to call it my favorite favorite. But as far as like the be-all, end-all, if I had to have only one, it would be this one for sure. Um, in my other Game Boys, I have three more. Two of them are kind of on loan from me. And it's kind of indefinite on loan. Keenan, if you're listening to this, I'll give them back to you anytime they want. <laughs> um, but the third one is 100% mine, and I paid for it, and I own it, and it's 100% in my collection. Uh, but basically, these three Game Boys are GB Micros, which, if you've never seen one before, you should definitely Google a picture of it, because I think a lot of people don't even know that these exist. But basically... The GB Micro was Nintendo's very last officially released Game Boy Advance handheld. And what it was trying to do was capitalize on the recent sensation that was the iPod. Uh, Because the iPod came out and everybody was obsessed with these portable little devices to listen to music. And the iPod even shipped with some games on it. And it was so small, and you could just slip it into your pocket and kind of be on your way. And uh, the Game Boy was still very pocketable, but for some reason, Nintendo decided to kind of uh, release this new model of the Game Boy Advance. And if I recall, it was either shortly after the DS came out or shortly before the DS came out or something like that. Um, And the reason they released it was to be sort of up with the times. It was a very, very small Game Boy way smaller than the Advance by a lot. Like, we're talking, like, one of the... Like, in one hand, I could probably enclose this entire Game Boy um, because it's that small. But basically, it has, like, sort of a futuristic design, too. And this was all to play a part of being, like, a futuristic small device that Nintendo could kind of push out to pre-teens and early teens. And my personal... Uh, GB Micro that I have in my collection does not have anywhere near as interesting of a story as the ones that I have acquired by the means of uh, loaning slash uh, rehoming, <laughs> which I'll get into that here in a moment. Um, basically, that same store where I got my AGS 101 reshell Game Boy Advance, uh, I visit somewhat frequently. I used to visit it a lot more. Uh, but now I visit it probably like once a month, at least one of the branches, not this specific one. It was a coincidence that this specific one hit both times. Uh, but basically this time I just walked in and on the shelf, they had a fairly decent condition GB micro and I had to snag it up. And that's sort of the entire story. I paid a decent price for it. Uh, it was by no means a huge discount but as far as i can tell all the ones that i saw online around that time were priced about 10 20 more Uh, so i still consider myself to have gotten a good deal and now uh, thanks to the rising price of retro games the gb micro has actually shot up quite a bit and you can find ags 101s for the same price that i paid for this game boy micro And it was the only Game Boy system that I had never owned. So I felt this desire, this urge to pick it up and finally complete my entire Game Boy Advance collection. Because after I bought that, 
I now possess every single Game Boy Advance model ever made, uh, which was a really cool feeling. Uh, and I basically um, took advantage of the fact that they made the Game Boy Micro have hot swappable face plates, and I bought a custom uh, face plate that's sort of themed after the booze from Mario. And it looks really, really sick. And I need to find a way to post a picture of this thing sometime because it's really, really cool. And it's probably one of my favorite handhelds I own. And style-wise, it looks way cooler than that uh, shell-swapped AGS-101. While it's not quite as practical, because if you didn't know, uh, the GB Micro can actually only play Game Boy Advance games. They removed the backwards compatibility uh, because it kind of went against their whole theme of extra portability because the cartridges would have stuck out like a sore thumb. So the only way you can play Game Boy, Game Boy Color games on the GB Micro is if you have a flash cartridge that supports emulation. Uh, but basically, this sits in my collection as one, my most expensive Game Boy that I own, and two, my last Game Boy that I needed to complete my collection of Game Boy Advances. And it's just a really, really nice piece to show people, and I have a little carrying case for it. And when I just want to play one specific game, I'll occasionally take it and slot it into the GB Micro and put the GB Micro in its case in my pocket and take it around and flex on people because I have a GB Micro and they don't. Um, but how on earth did I come into possession of two more GB Micros, including one that is more rare? So... My friend Keenan, shout out to Keenan, uh, had his father purchase for him when he was young a GB Micro. And basically, he bought one for Keenan and for his sister. And the kids played these to death, and they had a whole bunch of games for them. To the point where basically these Game Boys got a fuck ton of use and condition wise are in a lot worse shape than my personal GB Micro that I have in my collection. Um, but also, they lost the chargers, and as far as I can tell, the batteries are gone. Like, the batteries do not work at all anymore, because I actually acquired them, because basically, uh, Keenan had tried everything in his power to get these charged up and working, and I even brought over my Game Boy Micro's charger for him to try it to see if he wanted to buy a third-party one to replace, and it did not work. The batteries are completely fucked, and so he loaned them out to me to try to run each one with my Game Boy Micro's battery. So I, I uh, disassembled mine very carefully, put the battery in theirs, and tested them out on both, and both of them worked with my batteries, so we can presume that both of the batteries somehow completely went out on both of them. Um, and so basically I told him that, and I explained to him that I looked around, and it's pretty goddamn near impossible to find a decent quality uh, Game Boy Micro third-party replacement battery this day and age. A lot of people on Amazon for the ones available there were saying that they were very shoddy, they didn't have as good battery life, and they were a fire hazard, and so I was very hesitant to put one in my friend's, you know, little Game Boy Micros, because I didn't want them to catch on fire. So basically, he told me that I could just hold on to them until I either fix them up 
and I can keep them or fix them up and I can kind of sell them back to them for the price of the repair and that's just kind of where it's been sitting and I've had these in my drawer not with the rest of my Game Boy collection because it truly does not feel like they belong to me but either way they are in my possession and they're very very fascinating and I love to take them out and look at them from time to time uh, because they're just really really neat and they're really really rare so the fact that I own three of them right now two on loan or one legitimately mine is just kind of a nice bragging point and uh I don't want him to think in any way shape or form that I forgot that he loaned them out to me if he ever wants them back just give me a holler but for now they're sitting safely in my collection and I like to you know take them out and look at them every once in a while um so those are every single Game Boy that I own uh some past some present I want to talk about one Game Boy related product that I'm waiting to arrive in the mail. Uh, that's my Game Boy product of the future. Um, but before we get to that, I really quickly want to mention as well, unfortunately, I have to admit, I went through a huge emulation phase in my teens to the point where basically I kind of decided that I would rather have money for other things and just play my Game Boy Advance collection on an emulator on my laptop. And in a moment of absolute weakness that I would come to regret for the rest of my life, I traded in my Game Boy Color, my original Game Boy, my Game Boy Pocket, and a ton of games. I'm saying like a ton, a ton, like a fuck ton of games. In between that and the ones that my brothers stole from me over the years, I was left with very little and my Game Boy Advance collection was dwindling. And only in like the last five years or so, um, and it kind of was kick-started when my fiance purchased my first Game Boy Advance SP for me, have I actually started recollecting and reclaiming a lot of these games that I foolishly traded off. Um, but in the next segment, I'm going to talk about a lot of Game Boy Advance games that I absolutely love. Some of them I had on cartridges for the first time. Some of them I played on an emulator for the first time, but then later got cartridges. Some of them are so expensive to buy the cartridges uh, secondhand that I still haven't picked them up, but I still love them and I'm still going to recommend them. Um, but I'm going to disclaimer every single time I talk about one of the games on whether or not I've played it on a physical cartridge or with an emulator. But I just wanted to point that out. I had a huge emulator phase for a while, and I foolishly traded in a lot of my shit. If you don't have to, in order to get new stuff, do not trade in your old consoles. Do not trade in your old games. You will regret it so much. Now, before I get into actually recommending specific games, I want to talk about one more Game Boy device that's supposed to be arriving in the mail for me eventually here uh, within the next month or so. And no, it is not the analog pocket. I know a lot of people are getting analog pockets right now, um, and you'll hear why here in a moment that I have not picked up an analog pocket. Uh, but the product that I should be receiving soon is called the GB Operator. And basically, 
the GB operator is a product by a company called Epilog, not Analog. Uh, don't get them mixed up. They're two completely different companies. And basically what it does is through the use of USB uh, to this adapter, it allows you to add a Game Boy cartridge slot to your computer. And what that does is it basically allows you to use your cartridges on any Game Boy, Game Boy Color, or Game Boy Advance emulator on your PC. And uh, when you save on the emulator, it'll automatically update and reflash your cartridge with the save file. Uh, so essentially what you have there is a way to play your games on the big screen uh, with very, very high accuracy and constantly synchronized saves. And for somebody who spent quite a bit of time playing Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, the likes on emulation, I have zero problems with it being emulation instead of a clone developer board like an FPGA style uh, deal like the Analog Pocket. Um, so this is definitely the best bet for me personally. Uh, and not to mention it comes at a lot cheaper. You'll end up paying probably about two, $300 for your Analog Pocket. Uh, but when you get the GB operator, if you pay MSRP, it's about $50, which is an absolute steal in my mind. And it organizes all of your games into a neat little digital library uh, so you can keep track of what you've got. And you can constantly keep backups of your saves if you need to swap batteries on the actual cartridges themselves. Um, and it'll also tell you if all of your cartridges are genuine or if you have any counterfeit cartridges as well. Uh, which is super useful for like if you're buying the Pokemon games off of a site like eBay or Mercari uh, because basically there's always a ton of counterfeit copies of the Pokemon games going around because a lot of people want the Pokemon games on Game Boy Advance as cartridges still um, and the fact is they're just not readily available uh, so what people will do is they'll take these cheap production uh, flash cartridges that you can flash one game onto and put Pokemon on them and then put them in a fairly convincing duplicate shell. And uh, the shell is so close to the actual shell of the original cartridge that it'd be indistinguishable. Usually the thing that gives them away is the stickers or some little etching on the actual cartridge shell itself. I want to emphasize too at this point in time that my future plans kind of dictated why I got the GB operator versus the analog pocket as well. Uh, because eventually here I'm supposed to be having a Steam Deck coming in as well and the Steam Deck is going to be my main portable device and as such uh, I would not want to have to worry about neglecting my analog pocket in order to play my Steam Deck or vice versa so the easy solution is to get the GB operator and then if I want to play my Game Boy Advance games on original hardware I can or I can play them on the Steam Deck by plugging in the GB operator 
um, and it'll run the Game Boy Advance games right on my Steam Deck, which will be really, really sweet, and I really, really like the idea of that being a thing, but uh, we'll have to see how well that works out. I'm still waiting on the product. I've heard it's really, really good, um, and I'm supposed to be getting it by the end of January, at the latest, the end of February, and then my Steam Deck's supposed to be coming in a couple months after that, so uh, stay tuned because later this year, there's going to be lots of interesting hardware-type reviews on this podcast, and I'm really excited about that. All right, folks, so now that we've talked about all the hardware that I've had, currently have, and will eventually have, I want to focus back in and uh, talk about some of my favorite games for the Game Boy series of handhelds. Uh, I know the first part of this podcast started to get off the rails there for a moment, but thank you for bearing with me, and now we should hopefully be fully back on track and talking about specific games, and hopefully you find some new favorites based off of Uh, these recommendations for great Game Boy games to play. Uh, And without further ado, let's hop right in with one of my favorites from the Game Boy, a game that not a lot of people talk about, and actually uh, a game that has kind of inspired this show. And that game is Donkey Kong 94. Donkey Kong 94 was one of my first Game Boy games that I ever received. I don't recall if I got it with my uh, brick Game Boy or if I got it with uh, my Game Boy Color or which Game Boy system I actually got it with. Um, But either way, it's one of the few games that I've never traded in and I still have my original cartridge and I still play it fairly frequently. And this copy of Donkey Kong 94 even went through the washer. And you can tell because the sticker is super, like, washed out and oversaturated now because of the washer, like, fucking with the ink. But it turned out fine, which is really impressive in itself because I was a stupid kid. And they really made these things kid-proof. I was shocked. But what is Donkey Kong 94? Uh, So Donkey Kong aka Donkey Kong for the Game Boy that released in 1994, which I'll be calling Donkey Kong 94 for this segment, uh, for clarity purposes, is a remake of the classic Donkey Kong arcade game for Game Boy. And what I mean by remake is the game contains all of the original levels from the original arcade game, but then it opens up, and this blew me away as a kid. After you finish the final level of the Donkey Kong arcade game, a like world map opens up, and a level select screen starts like showing up, and all of a sudden it's a level-based puzzle platformer, and a really, really good one at that. And basically what ends up happening is... After the level is complete where you'd normally finish the Donkey Kong arcade game and then it would loop back to the beginning, uh, Donkey Kong actually captures Pauline again and sets off. And as he's running away, you discover that you're going to need to activate this special like switch that was not in the original Donkey Kong in order to complete a bridge to chase after him. And... This opens up into a whole slew of new Donkey Kong levels uh, that are completely unique to this game. And these are excellent, excellent platforming levels. And they're really, really perfect for the Game Boy because they're just nice, 
uh, fairly short puzzle platformer levels where basically you want to try and get as many points as possible and then get to the end of the level without dying. And you have to do things like, uh, you know, doing like tight ropes and climbing ladders and uh, picking up trash cans and throwing them at enemies to kill them and uh, all sorts of stuff with like switches and temporary bridge building and things like that. Um, and what all of this combined creates is a very, very interesting portable experience for fans of the Donkey Kong arcade game. And it's very different than anything that they'd offered at uh, uh, Donkey Kong, you know, out of a Donkey Kong game up until this point. And I think that's what really makes this one stand the test of time. And one of my favorite Game Boy games for sure. Um, and it really does go on for quite a while. It's got a lot of content in it and it's got a lot of interesting levels. And it's one of my absolute favorites. And this game was so well received that it actually went on to inspire a entire an entire series spin-off of the Mario series. Uh, called Mario vs. Donkey Kong, which is on the Game Boy Advance for the first entry. I believe they continue to release them on other platforms too, including the DS and the 3DS, and maybe even like a Wii version at some point or a Wii U version at some point. Uh, but all of them have the same kind of theme, which is like this puzzle platforming, uh, and you kind of have the same move set in each of the games, and you kind of have some of the same puzzle elements in each of the games, uh, with each of them kind of throwing their own twist on top of it as well. Uh, but the Mario vs. Donkey Kong series would not have ever existed without Donkey Kong 94. Um, and as such, Donkey Kong 94 is really kind of the first Mario vs. Donkey Kong game. And... It's got so much charm. I just absolutely love it. And I don't know what else to say about it. It's just really, really fun. It's a solid puzzle platformer game. And Mario vs. Donkey Kong is more of the same, but with some nicer graphics because it's on the GBA versus the Game Boy. And they're just really fun games. And they're relatively easy to find at affordable prices as well. And that's, what I, that's why I wanted to start off the game recommendation segment uh, with Mario versus Donkey Kong or Donkey Kong 94, depending on if you want to play a Game Boy Advance game or a Game Boy game. Now next I want to talk about a duo of puzzle games that I absolutely adore. And both of these are for the Game Boy, Game Boy Color. Uh, and they are, of course, Dr. Mario and Tetris. And I'm going to get into Tetris after Dr. Mario because I feel like more people know about Tetris. And I want to gush about Tetris a little more than Dr. Mario. So let's start off by talking about Dr. Mario. Dr. Mario is one of the most underrated puzzle games of all time. The way you sort of match the colors of the capsules and then when you match them... Uh, they kind of like fall down and connect with other ones is very addicting and very very fun and it's reminiscent of Tetris without being an outright Tetris clone and the differences between Dr. Mario and Tetris make it stand out enough 
that I like having both of them in my library, even though I could probably get away with just one and have countless hours of fun either way. Like many of you in the audience, I have to admit, I did snub Dr. Mario for the vast majority of my life. And I definitely did not play it when I was little, and I did not own a copy of it for the Game Boy when I was little. That's something I have to admit and get out of the way right away. My first experience to Dr. Mario was the NES version of Dr. Mario running on a very unique arcade cabinet that I found at one of my local arcades. And this arcade cabinet was basically a collection of NES games where you could put in a token to play a set amount of time or until you get a game over. And that is how I first experienced Mar or Dr. Mario was as an arcade experience, and it worked surprisingly well. Uh, but of course, after I tried it in the arcades and really, really liked it, I went and downloaded it on my Nintendo Switch Online NES app, and I played the hell out of it there too. Um, and then one day when I was at a secondhand video game store, I actually managed to spot a near mint condition uh, version of Dr. Mario for the Game Boy with a manual. And I was very, very interested in this because I've never owned a Game Boy games manual. So I was like, oh, I got to get this. And it's one of my most complete and pristine condition games in my Game Boy collection. Um, and it's really, really fun. The Game Boy port, I have to admit, is not as good as the NES version of Dr. Mario. And the main reason for that is the difference between the colors is a lot harder to make out. Um, and it makes it a little more difficult to actually play, which could be a positive for some people. Uh, but either way, Dr. Mario is such an underrated, underplayed puzzle game. And it's really, really fun. And it's a great piece to add to your Game Boy collection or honestly any other system where it's available. I have only really played the Game Boy and the NES version of Dr. Mario. I can't vouch for any other versions of the game, unfortunately. Uh, but do with that as you will. And without further ado, folks, let's get into Tetris. Tetris on the Game Boy is iconic. Tetris and the Game Boy go, to go together like peanut butter and jelly. When most people think of the old, gray, thick, green screen Game Boy, they usually think of Tetris because a lot of the time, as far as I understand, uh, the Game Boy came with Tetris. And the version of Tetris on the Game Boy stands today as my personal favorite version of Tetris. Uh, everybody has their own favorite version, and it varies from person to person, and... You might not agree with me on this, but I love the simplicity and the mechanics of Tetris and Tetris DX for the Game Boy Advance. Or not the Game Boy Advance, for the Game Boy and Game Boy Color, respectively. Um, and the only difference between Tetris and Tetris DX is basically DX is the Game Boy Color's port of Tetris, uh, which includes different music tracks and full-color... Uh, blocks, which is a huge game changer for me, and honestly, it's really hard to play the regular Tetris uh, since I grew up playing Tetris DX anyway. Um, but Tetris DX is probably the Game Boy game that I still whip out my Game Boy the most to play. I 
got my Game Boy collection out specifically for this podcast episode in preparation. And I booted up a couple smaller games and I played a couple levels in Mario and I did a couple levels on Donkey Kong 94 and all that jazz. And uh, the game that hooked me immediately back in and I started playing a ton during my research phase for this episode was none other than Tetris DX. Uh, Tetris DX is such a smooth Tetris experience. All of the blocks move exactly how you want them to. There's none of that fluff that was added in later games, like holding and that kind of thing. There's no quick drop as far as I know, unless there's like a key bind or something that I'm unaware of, which there very well could be. Um, And it's just overall a very solid Tetris experience. It's got your classic, like, uh, go until you accidentally fill up the screen mode. It's got, like, ultra mode, which is basically where you're trying to get as many lines and as many points as possible before uh, the two-minute timer runs out. It's got multiplayer if you have two copies of the game, two Game Boys, and a Game Boy Link cable, uh, which is really, really great. I've never tried that, but it'd be something I'd be interested in trying out. I wonder if the original Tetris can link to Tetris DX, because if it can, I've got a copy of each of those, and I've got two Game Boys that'll run each of those, and I've got a link cable. Um, But either way, both versions of Tetris are great fun. Uh, The regular version of Tetris is very, very easy to find, because it came with virtually every Game Boy that released, as far as I know. I think there were some that didn't come with it, maybe. Or maybe it was like a timed thing where they came with it for a while, but then stopped or something like that. Um, But it's really easy to find the original Tetris for dirt cheap. Like, I'm talking like dollars, if even. Uh, But Tetris DX can run you a little more. But honestly, for me personally, it's worth it. Tetris DX is my favorite version of Tetris and probably will be for quite some time. I have played Tetris Effect I really like Tetris Effect. It's a great version of Tetris, but I just can't get as hooked on Tetris Effect as I can on Tetris DX on my Game Boy. It's it's such a weird thing. A big part of it is probably nostalgia more than anything, but it's just such a smooth, satisfying, classic Tetris experience playing Tetris DX on my Game Boy. I really can't undersell it. It's it's one of my favorite Game Boy games of all time, and it's definitely one of the ones I have the most hours in. I probably shouldn't have talked about this so early on in the game discussion because it's going to be hard to top this, but I'll continue on either way. But yeah, definitely check out Dr. Mario and Tetris on the Game Boy because they're great puzzle games, and they always give me a reason to dig out my Game Boy and play some more. And I'm really excited to get my GB Operator so I can keep my high scores going on the cartridge and play on my computer and then switch back to my phone and then switch over to my Game Boy, you know, just kind of jump around as I see fit. It's going to be really, really awesome. Next, let's talk about Super Mario Land 2, The Six Golden Coins. A lot of people don't really acknowledge the Super Mario Land series uh, as being a series that exists, Um, but the games in it are very, very good, solid Mario platformers. 
the first one, Super Mario Land, as far as I understand, is a fairly uh, simple Mario game, and it's lacking some fundamental features. Uh, but Super Mario Land 2 is the one that I got hooked on as a kid. And still to this day, I really think that it's underrated and underappreciated and underknown amongst Mario fans. Uh, because Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, one does not take place in the Mushroom Kingdom, which opens it up for tons of different possibilities for levels and things. And two, there are so many unique items in this game, it's insane. Like, it seriously has so much unique going on for it, and nobody's really played it. Uh, basically, in this game, Mario is in a different kingdom. I don't remember what the name is. Um, I want to say it's called, like, Dino Land or something weird like that, but I might be wrong. Uh, but basically, uh, the point of this game is you have to travel to six different areas of the map and beat six different bosses. And in order to get there, you have to beat multiple platforming levels, obviously, uh, per world. And when you do, you get the six coins. And once you get the six coins, you use them to unlock a door into a mansion, uh, which is the final level of the game. And you have to fight Wario. And if I recall, this was actually the first game where Wario was introduced, at least as a main villain. So, very, very unique. I want to emphasize that. Uh, some of the worlds that really stick out in my mind and I remember vividly is uh, there's like a tree level where basically you're playing um, different levels based on different parts of a tree. So, like, there's the roots level where you're going through the roots and there's like water and like tadpoles and frog enemies and stuff like that and you go up into the bark and you fight like bees in a beehive and stuff like that and then the top of the tree uh there's like leaves and plants and uh the likes as well which is very very diverse and they're not really like common mario enemies like for the plants you're not going up against piranha plants you're going up against like different plants if that makes any sense and like the frogs are actual frogs and it was really really strange for me as a kid especially after getting so used to specific mario enemies um, likewise there's another level where it's like a house and you have to go through multiple different rooms in the house um and basically when you're like shrunk down you literally walk up to the front of the house and you have to fight like enemies and there's like big household objects in the background and I think there's like mice enemies you have to fight it's really really cool and I have like weird flashbacks about this game sometimes uh, when I see like a picture of one of the enemies or something like that or if I'm just thinking about Mario games in general um, there's also a moon level that I remember being very iconic uh, because you literally like go up there and there's like no sound and Mario's in a spacesuit on second thought, I don't know if I want to commit to there being no sound. I think I remember there either being no sound or, like, a really, like, uh, interesting pixely, like, musical, like, chiptune kind of song. Um, but either way, the levels in this game were very creative and very unique. There's a graveyard, too, and the graveyard has some really interesting stuff. Um, and I'll never forget the level, too, uh, in the tree area where there's like sticky 
honey that you can go in in the beehive and like Mario sinks through it. This game is full of stuff that was never really seen again in the Mario universe and as such anybody who loves 2D Mario games has to check this one out because it seriously got so much unique content in it and it's so underrated. One of my favorite ways to play uh, Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, other than my original Game Boy cartridge that I have of it that I still like to pop out every now and again, uh, is actually on an emulator because some fans have taken Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, and created their own fan-made DX version um, because this game was originally on Game Boy it was only in uh, sort of single color shade for the palette. So basically, if you were playing it on the original Game Boy like intended, you were seeing shades of green. Or if you were playing it on the Game Boy Pocket, you were seeing grayscale, like shades of grays and blacks. Um, but what Super Mario Land The Six Golden Coins DX does uh, is basically it gives all of the, the sprites unique color palettes. It makes it a Super Game Boy compatible game, uh, which I haven't really talked about that yet, but the Super Game Boy was basically an attachment for the Super Nintendo that lets you play original Game Boy and Game Boy Colors on the big screen in a similar vein to my Game Boy Player, but much earlier. And honestly, as far as I've heard, a lot more um, uniquely and charmingly and especially back then, it was a huge deal to be able to play Game Boy games on the TV. Uh, but another thing it did is it used some of the SNES's horsepower to inject colors into previously only grayscale uh, Game Boy games. Like I was talking about Donkey Kong 94. Donkey Kong 94 had a Super Game Boy mode, uh, which gave it full color, which is very, very cool. And honestly, um, I really like to pop my or load up an emulator with Donkey Kong 94 just to play the full color version from time to time because it's so cool to see. Um, and all of them work, obviously, on the original Game Boy and everything. Um, but as far as I understand, if you plug your Game Boy cartridges into your Game Boy Advance, I don't think you can use Super Game Boy mode. I think you can only use Game Boy Color mode, uh, which kind of can apply different single colors to all of the screen. But either way, if you want a unique experience for the older games, definitely go check out the Super Game Boy mode, either on an actual Super Game Boy cartridge or on an emulator. And uh, as well as the fan-made DX conversions like Super Mario Land 2 The Six Golden Coins DX, it's probably the best way to play the game because this game was so underappreciated and it's such a hidden gem out of the Mario series that it's just a dream to be able to fully play it in color because Nintendo gives zero attention to this game and honestly I don't think it's a game that they could remake either because it's so different they would have to pour so much effort into remaking it and since nobody really talks about this game or really knows about this game I don't think they would ever put in the effort of actually porting it or uh remaking it or anything like that in any way shape or form or even a remaster I really don't think they would ever do it for this game so uh, it's definitely one to keep an eye out for some of the other interesting things too are the power-ups uh, like I could never really pinpoint the names of them but one's like a feather and when you pick up the feather you get like a feather 
cap that kind of looks reminiscent of like stereotyped Native American headdresses. And when you have it picked up, that's how you shoot your fireballs. Instead of it being a fire flower, it's a feather, which is interesting. Um, and likewise, they have a similar power-up to the Tanuki suit, um, where basically it's like some sort of carrot thing. I think it's supposed to be a carrot with bunny ears or something like that, because it gives you um, bunny bunny ears, and the bunny ears kind of flap up and down and make you float, like or glide and like fall slowly, I guess is the correct way to put it. Um, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff too. Like in, for example, as well, in between levels, you get to play little mini games to get like extra lives and stuff like that. Because, uh, the main complaint I've always had with this game is that the levels are kind of barren of tons of like power-ups and coins and stuff to find. Like there's a decent amount of coins and there's plenty of enemies to fight. Um, but as far as like special areas go the levels have a lot less going for them and that's kind of filled in gap wise by the bonus mini games at the end of the level um, but it's really really good stuff and likewise if you don't feel like playing uh, an original creative and unique mario game on the game boy uh, you could always go to like the the Super Mario Brothers remake they did for the Game Boy which I believe they called Super Mario Brothers Deluxe uh, which is literally just Super Mario Brothers from the NES running on the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color it's really really impressive to see especially since I think they kind of led people on to think that the best they could do for Mario on the Game Boy was Super Mario Land, which that game is heavily downgraded from the original Super Mario Brothers experience. Uh, but Super Mario Brothers Deluxe is straight up just the original game brought to the Game Boy. And there's even uh, Mario Versus content included where you can link up two Game Boys and you can like race each other and stuff like that. Um, it's really, really neat, honestly. And none of the Game Boy Mario games get enough love at all. Uh, and then also on the Game Boy Advance, there's the Super Mario Advance collection, um, which includes some remakes and ports of previous Mario games. I think they might have skipped the original Super Mario Brothers and went straight to Super Mario Brothers 2 USA. Um, which is basically, if you're unaware, Doki Doki Panic from Japan, uh, reskinned to look like a Mario game. Um, and it's the version of Super Mario Bros. 2 we got here in the States, instead of the Lost Levels, which is the actual Super Mario Bros. 2. Um, and then, of course, there's Super Mario Bros. 3 on one of them, there's Yoshi's Island on one of them, and then my personal favorite... Uh, Super Mario Advance 4 Super Mario World, which I'm pretty sure it's Super Mario Advance 4 Super Mario World. Let me fact check myself really quick. Shit, I just fact checked myself. Uh, so Super Mario Advance 2 was Super Mario World, and Super Mario Advance 4 was Mario Brothers 3. Um, and then Super Mario Advance 3 was Yoshi's Island. So you can play a lot of classic Mario games on the Game Boy Advance as well. Uh, but Super Mario Advance 2 Super Mario World is by far my favorite because 
Super Mario World is my favorite 2D Mario game ever made. Um, and the Game Boy Advance port of it is so excellent, and it has some slight quality of life improvements that make it, for me personally, this is a bit of a controversial opinion, um, my personal favorite version of the game and the definitive version of the game in my mind. Um, other than the fact that you lose some screen real estate because of the weird aspect ratio on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, but the nice thing is about the Super Mario Advance series too, each of the games comes with a copy of Mario Brothers, like the arcade game ported over, um, which makes it good to carry one of the Mario Advance games around because that way you can have an extra little arcade-style quick pick-up-and-play experience too on the go. It was a great, great, great idea to use up the rest of the cartridge space with this because it's the perfect like tag-along mini-game kind of thing for a handheld console, just like how New Super Mario Brothers on the DS had all of like the child gambling mini game and like the hide and seek mini game and the card casino mini game. Uh, having Mario Brothers on the Super Mario Advance games was really nice because uh, it was already the original great games from the NES and the SNES ported over. Um, and you got to play their entirety as far as their story mode goes and all that jazz. But you also got Mario Brothers, which is a classic arcade game and perfect fun for a quick little session when you have a little bit of extra time and nowhere near as much of a commitment as playing a proper round of like Super Mario World or Mario Brothers 3 or uh, Mario Brothers 2 or Yoshi's Island, especially Yoshi's Island. That game has a lot of story elements and a lot of stuff like that going on. But um, there's some Mario games, some 2D Mario games available on the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance. If you haven't taken anything else away from this podcast so far, Definitely look into Super Mario World 2 or Super Mario Land 2 the 6 golden coins because it's such an underrated underrated hidden gem in the Mario series and not enough people play it. I would not even blame you for downloading an emulator like BGB and playing the fan-made Super Mario Land 2 6 golden coins DX fan project as well because it's just a really great game and that's the best way to play it so there's some 2d mario games for all you folks out there the metroidvania genre hit its stride on the game boy advance there were so many different metroid games and so many different castlevania games to play and even other games in the genre as well uh And with me recently playing Metroid Dread, I've been thinking a lot about some of the Metroid games available on the Game Boy Advance. You can play the original Metroid thanks to this collection of NES games that they re-released on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, And you can also play Metroid Zero Mission, which is a remake of the original Metroid from the NES, which people consider to be the definitive version of the game as far as I understand it. Um, And there's also Metroid Fusion, which before Metroid Dread, weirdly enough, is the most recent 2D Metroid game ever to release, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, But I have to be honest with you folks, I've actually never played 
Metroid, uh, Metroid Fusion or Metroid Zero Mission, uh, mostly because as a kid I was not particularly interested in them, and as an adult I have not been able to track them down for a reasonable price whatsoever. Um, and I do want to play them really bad now because I got into the 2D Metroid series with Metroid Dread, and now I'm thinking, like, shit, after I finish Metroid Dread, I'm going to want to go back and play those games. And they're so hard to find. I actually don't know if I'll be able to find them, uh, sadly enough. But if you can get your hands on them, I'm sure they're great games. And I've heard only good things about uh, Metroid Fusion and uh, Metroid Zero Mission on the GBA. Um, but I'm here today instead to talk about the Castlevania games available on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, because out of the entire Castlevania series, they're definitely my favorites. The three Castlevania games that you can play on the Game Boy Advance are Castlevania Circle of the Moon, Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance, and Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. And the one that I've put the most time into by far is Aria of Sorrow, so I'm going to talk about that one last. Uh, but Circle of the Moon is more of a classic Castlevania experience for the Game Boy Advance. Um, and you play as one of the Belmonts, and you have, I believe, the ball and chain instead of the whip for your weapon. But it plays very similarly to, like, uh, Castlevania on the NES in the sense that you have, like, a total 360 control over your weapon and you only have that one weapon and you use it to fight waves of enemies and explore and that kind of thing um, and you use it to fight bosses and all that great Castlevania stuff um, and then Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance is one that is very similar to Symphony of the Night I believe it stars the same main character of Alucard uh, and I don't recall if it's a prequel or a sequel. I don't follow the lore of the Castlevania series too much. I mostly play them for the gameplay. Uh, but as far as I understand, uh, Harmony of Dissonance is mostly uh, very similar to Symphony of the Night. And I guess it's a very good game. I haven't put a ton of time into this one either mostly because I knew it was a sequel to Symphony of the Night and I have not finished Symphony of the Night so I didn't want any spoilers I believe it's a sequel, it's either a sequel or a prequel um, but either way I've played those two a little bit and I've heard they're really really great games and I do mean to get back around to playing them uh, sometime in the near future um, but what about Aria of Sorrow so Aria of Sorrow and I've talked about it before on the podcast is one of my favorite games ever made and that's really high praise and this is completely out of left field considering the fact that i just mentioned that i'm not too uh, deep into the lore on the castlevania series um, but aria of sorrow is the first game in this like timeline in the castlevania series where i've played almost every single game um, and basically it follows Soma Cruz, and this is in, like, the future part of the Castlevania timeline, because there's, like, a, like, distant past timeline, which is where the classic games take place, and then there's, like, the period with, like, Symphony of the Night and Harmony of the Dissonance, and then there's, like, the future timeline, which is 
Aria of Sorrow, and then I think there's some other ones as well on the DS that follow uh, as direct sequels to this game. Um, but basically, the reason I fell in love with this game as a kid is it has excellent, excellent, excellent gameplay. It's basically a 2D platformer where you are thrusted into this castle full of monsters as Soma Cruz, and you're trying to kind of figure out the mystery and help save uh, one of your friends that were transported to this castle with you um, by getting them home. And you discover very early on in the game that you have this special unique ability to absorb the special abilities in a similar vein to like Kirby uh, of certain enemies. And in the actual gameplay, this happens by a percentage chance uh, where after you kill an enemy, you might absorb their soul, and then you have a copy of their ability that you can use at any time, which is really, really cool, and it opens up a lot of different gameplay opportunities, especially for combat and a lot of unique ways to actually fight in the game. Um, likewise, when you're exploring the castle, it's mostly 2D platforming, and you can find certain abilities that are actually scattered throughout the map, usually behind boss fights, um, that allow you to do things that open and unlock new areas. And that's where the Metroidvania-style gameplay comes in. Uh, because, for example, you could find a watery area where basically this room is flooded and you can, like, you can swim on the top of the water from the start of the game uh, but you can only hop so high and it's a lot less height than you can normally hop when you're in the water um, so there could be like a ledge that's too high for you to hop up to while you're swimming in the water and then after you defeat a certain boss you actually unlock the ability to just straight up walk on water um, which makes it act like a platform and then you have enough height to do your normal jump or even a double jump and get up to this ledge and that unlocks a whole new area of the map stuff like that there's things like gliding there's things like uh doing the water thing like i mentioned uh and there's other combat abilities you can unlock as well but a lot of them are important to the environment and exploring the castle and kind of solving these miniature puzzles uh, but where this game really shines is the music in conjunction with the gameplay. Attacking these enemies with your weapons and all of these unique soul abilities is so satisfying because you get so many different abilities and it could be anything from like projectiles that all act in completely different ways or you can get like a gun I believe at one point and shoot enemies which that might be a bit of a spoiler actually. I think the gun is like kind of like a one-off kind of weapon um but there's like a waiter enemy like a waiter zombie and if you kill him you get like curry that you can throw at enemies and stuff like that and it burns them stuff like that just really really unique and creative things and take the excellent music as well which is some of the best in the series in my opinion and it still is music that i can just hear in my head by thinking about castlevania because it's so so good um, and it takes full advantage of the Game Boy Advance's audio chip and is one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard in a video game. Um, and you just have a masterpiece because there's all this exploration too and there's a new boss around every corner and you have to look out for tells and you have to 
kind of figure out how to use your special abilities in ways to traverse the castle uh, and all of its various hazards. And I think this game really opened my eyes to how much I liked Metroidvania games. Um, and then Metroid Dread came out, and I picked that game up, and I realized, oh shit, the Metroid games play in a very similar vein to the Castlevania games. It's weird how this, the genre is called Metroidvania, and I've only ever played Castlevania. These Metroid games are probably pretty good too. Uh, but we'll get into that when I do the Metroid Dread review here shortly. Um, but I want to keep talking about Castlevania for a moment. So Castlevania... Uh, on the Game Boy Advance, you can either pick up each game as a single cartridge, or um, I believe there's a double pack that comes with Harmony of Dissonance and Aria of Sorrow, and there might even be a different double pack that comes with the other two, so it comes with uh, Circle of the Moon and Aria of Sorrow, because Aria of Sorrow is considered to be the best out of the three. Um, but my personal recommendation is, if the Castlevania games sound even a little interesting to you, there is a port. And that port is known as the Castlevania Advance Collection. Um, and it's actually on pretty much every platform, like PC and PS4 and Xbox and Switch. And what it is, is it's a collection of every single Game Boy Advance Castlevania game and then a couple um, random ones thrown in there as well. Um, and they even included some really nice quality of life features as well, like showing you if you've actually um, obtained the soul of an enemy you're fighting on the side of the screen. That way you don't spend time grinding uh, to kill a specific enemy to get its soul um, that you've already acquired, which is something that I've done before. So that was really neat to see. Um, amongst a bunch of other things, and they even include some bonus games from the series past that are really, really fun as well. Um, and it's a really, really good deal at like $20 or whatever it costs to get all these excellent games from the Game Boy Advance and to finally be able to play them on other systems because they are amazing games. And I feel like the Game Boy Advance really held them back, honestly, because they're so great on there. And a lot of people, as soon as the Game Boy Advance was gone, just forgot about a lot of these great, great games. And that's why I'm talking about them on this podcast episode. But yeah. The Castlevania games on the Game Boy Advance are really, really great, especially Aria of Sorrow. And I'm sure both of the Metroid games, Metroid Zero Mission and Metroid Fusion, are really great as well, and I can't wait to check them out sometime. Um, but there's some Metroidvania fun for you guys uh, on this episode of the Switched Podcast. Well, folks, it finally happened. I accidentally forgot to hit the record button after almost two years of the podcast, and it never having happened, I finally just did it. Um, but either way, I'm here again for the second time that I have to talk about all this uh, to record my thoughts about a very, very popular and iconic franchise from the Game Boy series of consoles. I thought about skipping it because everybody's kind of said everything that needs to be said about these games. But since they're so iconic, I decided to talk about them anyway. Uh, and here we go in rapid-fire succession. I'm going to uh, tell you about my favorite from each of the generations, Pokemon. So, Gen 1. Uh, we have red, blue, and yellow in the States. Red is the version that I played the most. I had all three, actually, at one point. Um, red, I just kind of had the most fun with, and I made it the furthest in, and I didn't feel like restarting for yellow. But I did actually eventually restart yellow 
and play far enough to get all three starters. If nothing else, despite uh, Yellow having a slower start because Pikachu is the worst starter Pokemon in Gen 1, uh, being able to collect all of the starters in the game is very, very cool. And having Pikachu as a follower Pokemon uh, was nice for fans of the show. Uh, definitely play Yellow if you are okay with starting with Pikachu and you want the three uh, the three starter Pokemon or pick red if you don't care otherwise. Gen 2 is my favorite gen and I will kind of stand on my hill about this generation till the end of time. A lot of people dislike Gen 2 because of some certain reasons that I'm about to dive into but I love it. Uh, there's gold, silver, and crystal. Skip gold and silver even though I had both of those at one point or another and just straight up get crystal. No freaking no battle, no debate, no nothing. Crystal had improved graphics, uh, full color. It was the best version of the game because you could also catch Celebi, which was really, really cool. Um, Ho-Oh, freaking, uh, what's the other one named? Lugia. I think that's what it's called, Lugia. You can catch all these freaking legendary Pokemons in here. And what blew me away about Gen 2 as a kid was the fact that when you finish the Elite Four in Gen 2, you actually get to go back over to Kanto and go through the entirety of Kanto again um, from the first games and I thought that was really cool and I guess the reason they did that was because the cartridge had a lot of extra space left after they finished Gen 2 um, and the main argument people make is that the Kanto region found in Gen 2 is very very empty and that's very true and I will be the first to admit that but honestly just the concept and the gimmick of having two regions in one Pokemon game which has never been done since is just so cool and my mind was blown when I realized that I just got to walk back over to Kanto and start playing Pokemon in Kanto again. Um, it was a really really cool gaming moment and I'll probably never forget it and that's why I have to promote Gen 2 as my favorite gen and I definitely recommend Crystal. Yeah and one more thing about Crystal too, I actually did manage to trade up my entire team from Pokemon Red uh, which was the version that I ended up settling on for Gen 1. And I did the rare candy glitch and I freaking did a whole bunch of like cheaty stuff just for fun. And so after I finished Gen 2, I went ahead and brought all my Pokemon over and just fucked around in the Kanto region with these like maxed out level uh, Pokemon that I played so long with. And it was really, really fun. And I have a lot of nostalgia for Gen 1 or Gen 2. So there's probably a lot of uh, rose tinted glasses there. But for me, that's where Pokemon peaked in many ways. Um, but that being said, moving on to Gen 3, I was blown away by the quality of the graphics and how much of a difference there was between the first two games, or the first two generations of games, I should say, and then the third generation. Gen 3 was gorgeous, and the Game Boy Advance was the perfect platform for those kind of graphics, and it was truly a breathtaking game for me as a kid, and I loved the art, uh, and I thought it was really charming. Uh, and Gen 3 has Fire Red and Leaf Green, which are remakes of the first Pokemon games, Red from America and Japan, and then of course Green, which was only in Japan. They shafted blue. I don't, water blue doesn't sound very cool, which is why I think they skipped out on blue, because <laughs> why would you want water blue? Who would want water blue? That just sounds like somebody trying to name all of the flavors of Gatorade or something, but, uh... Either way, Fire Red, Leaf Green, I got green first because we did not get green in the States, so I thought it'd be really neat to experience green, but it's the same game, so it doesn't really matter which one you play for this. 
Uh, but I did end up getting Fire Red, and I actually finished Fire Red, um, and I had a good time with that one, honestly. Probably my favorite way to play Gen 1 games, because it's just a really, really solid version of the Gen 1 games, and the Gen 3 engine is probably where mechanically Pokemon uh, kind of peaked, in my opinion. Um, and keep in mind, I'm not a super competitive player. Uh, but then the main Gen 3 games were Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. And I actually started out on Ruby and still have not finished Emerald, though I have picked up... Uh, I actually traded in my copy of Ruby down the line, and I managed to reacquire Sapphire and Emerald. So now I have the two games I didn't have when I was a kid, but I don't have Ruby, which is kind of funny. Uh, but basically... Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald are the Hoenn games, and you're in the Hoenn region, and there's new starters, and there's new gyms, and there's a new map, and there's new rivals, and I really, really love these games, and a lot of people consider this where Pokemon peaked, and I kind of agree in some ways, and I don't in others, uh, but I did finish the cop my copy of Ruby when I got it as well, and I don't know, it was just a really cool game. I remember coming home from school, uh, with my copy of Pokemon Ruby and my Game Boy Advance that I played all the way home on the bus. And then I would sit down in my chair at my grandparents' house and I would watch Chugga Conroy play Pokemon Ruby um, well past where I was in the game at the given time. I just did not even care about spoilers when I was a kid. Um, and I have so many fond memories of watching Chugga Conroy play Pokemon Ruby or whatever he, whichever one he played while I was playing. And I loved catching... Uh, Groudon and like the volcano area it was just such a magical experience and the first time I played those games was like something I'll never forget and the same goes with all the Pokemon games I have unfortunately fallen off with the series in a major way and I haven't properly committed to finishing a Pokemon game in a really long time um, and early stuff is out for Pokemon Legends Arceus which has released as far as I understand it and it's not looking that great. And unfortunately, I did not finish Brilliant Diamond or Shining Pearl. Um, I kind of made it like a couple gyms in and decided like gameplay-wise, these felt too slow for me and I wasn't into it. But I didn't trade them in because I love, you know, I love the Sinnoh region. But that's a story for another day. Uh, but I really kind of experienced Pokemon for the first time with Gen 3. And it was the last time that I got into a generation, like, after it had already come out. The rest of the generations, I was there all the steps of the way. I remember Gen 4 coming out. I remember Gen 5 coming out. I remember Gen 6 coming out. And I'm pretty sure I actually got Gen 5 on release. Um, but that's, again, an, a story for another day because we're not talking about the Game Boy. Uh, but after Gen 3 with Fire Red and my copy of Ruby... I really fell off Pokemon, and it was like the last time that I really had a proper experience. I don't know if I finished any other Pokemon games after that, if I'm being honest with you. And I do want to go back someday and properly finish some of them, but it's just... I, I don't know. Pokemon doesn't grab me like it used to. It would really need to be overhauled to pull me back in, I think. And I've got ideas for that, and that might be an interesting podcast episode for another day. Uh, but folks, that's my recommendations for Pokemon games. Play red or yellow, if it doesn't really matter. If you want all the starters, play yellow. Um, and then for Gen 2, play Crystal. Don't even bother with Gold and Silver. For Gen 3, Fire Red and Emerald are the best, because Emerald has the most content. 
and is just the best version of the game. I guess I didn't even mention that. You can catch all the legendaries in Emerald, I believe. Um, not that I finished Emerald, but really, really great experience either way. Um, Pokemon games, everybody knows them, everybody loves them. Uh, not much else for me to say. That's why I was thinking about not even covering them, but, you know, I can't not cover Pokemon on the Game Boy episode. That would just be wrong. Now, before we wrap things up and get into our conclusion here, folks, I wanted to quickly mention Rapid Fire Mode, a couple games I didn't actually talk about in this podcast episode, uh, mostly because I own them, but I have very little experience with them, and I never actually got around to finishing them. Uh, mostly due to the fact that I did not have copies of them until I was already an adult and I haven't gotten back around to playing them yet. And those games include the likes of uh, like Mario and Luigi Super, Superstar, <laughs> Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Uh, there is The Legend of Zelda Four Swords, and there's also. Uh, Link's Awakenings on that cartridge as well. It's like a little bit of a double pack. Uh, And then there's also the Minish Cap, uh, which is a Zelda game. I've never played that all the way through. I've only played the first dungeon or so. Uh, There's also the Oracle games on uh, Game Boy Color. And I owned those as a kid, but I did not get anywhere near into those as a kid. Uh, because they were way too difficult for my little baby brain, and I never got back around to playing them as an adult. Uh, And the same thing goes for Link's Awakening. I had Link's Awakening DX as a kid, and uh, I actually never got around to playing it. And to its completion, uh, even though I had it as a kid, uh, but when the Link's Awakening remake came out for the Switch, I actually did pretty much completely finish that one. Uh, really, really good game, but I probably would just recommend playing the Switch version over the Game Boy one now because of the fact that the Game Boy one uh, is kind of made obsolete by the Switch version of Link's Awakening. Um, but other than that, I think I've covered the vast majority of Game Boy games I want to cover in this episode. I'm sure after I finish recording this, I'll think of like a hundred more games I should have talked about. Uh, but either way. I think I've covered some of the more important ones for me personally. Um, And without further ado, folks, I think that's about it for this episode on the Game Boy. We talked about all the Game Boy consoles I own, um, and we talked about the GB Operator a little bit, this awesome little product by Epilogue that's going to let me play my Game Boy cartridges on my computer, which is really cool. Uh, Also recently, a FPGA portable console called the Analog Pocket came out, and the Analog Pocket is kind of like the ultimate Game Boy, because it can play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games at a very high resolution on the actual screen of the handheld, and you can dock it in a similar manner to the Switch and play the games on your TV, and they run really, really well, Uh, and if you're the kind of person who wants to get into the Game Boy games and collecting Game Boy games and you just want the flat out best experience you can get and you don't care about throwing your money around, the Analog Pocket is definitely for you. It's going to give you the best experience playing the game both on the go and on your TV for the most part. And I've heard that it's only going to get better with software updates and the likes, so 
Uh, analog pocket is very expensive, but very cool. If I had the money to throw around on something like that, I definitely would. Uh, but for me personally, I found the GB operator and playing the cartridges on my computer when I want them on a big screen and then taking them out and putting them back in a regular Game Boy for on the go is kind of something that works out a little bit better for me personally. Um, but what else? The Game Boy Advance really is just one of my favorite consoles of all time and definitely probably my favorite portable console of all time. So I don't really have anything negative to say about it. I just love it. And the battery life is so good. I talked about on another episode of the show when I had uh, this pretty serious life event go down in uh, 2020 when there was a natural disaster in my area. Our household was without power for a little over a week. And during that time, I had three fully charged Game Boy Advances that got me through the entire thing without needing a wall outlet once and it was really awesome and honestly uh, during that week I just kind of had like a, a remembrance of how much I absolutely adored the Game Boy Advance and I uh, I was really happy that I had them in that moment I, I love that console so much and the battery life is insanely good and the last thing I want to mention folks is the easiest way to get your hands on some of the best Game Boy Advance games officially is actually by owning a Wii U and buying them on the virtual console. Otherwise, you're going to have a hell of a time tracking down actual cartridges. Uh, Like, for example, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was pretty close to finishing Metroid Dread, and I have finished Metroid Dread now at the time of recording this particular segment. And now that I have played a Metroid game to completion, I really, really want to play Fusion and Zero Mission. And both of those games on the secondhand market are running like $100 a piece for the Game Boy Advance, which is insane. And it's like, it just goes to show how hard it is to actually collect these games. And Nintendo's only really re-released Game Boy Advance games on the Wii U. There were some that were that were re-released on the 3DS, uh, but in order to get them, you had to purchase an original 3DS right when it came out, and then they were kind of given out to those people who bought the 3DS early on, uh, because they eventually cut the price to try to bring more people in and to sell more 3DSs, and that made a lot of 3DS owners mad. Uh, so it was a little incense in incense incentive for them uh, since they were early adopters and there was a handful of uh, Game Boy Advance titles released for the 3DS but not very many and also if you weren't one of those original 3DS owners there's no way that you could have these games so the Wii U is the best way to do it officially but folks you know how I feel about emulation and its importance for preservation and I am a firm believer that if the only way a game is available is secondhand and it's very expensive to acquire secondhand, none of that money that you're spending is going to the developers. Uh, Proceed with caution, do your own research. If you have some cartridges lying around, maybe look into the GB operator. I know they're a couple months out on orders and I should be getting mine very soon Uh, but if you were to place an order now it would probably take a couple months for you to get it 
Uh, but if you do have cartridges around and you want to give them a try, that's definitely something you could look into. Or, you know, if you own the cartridge and you already gave Nintendo the money, there's no shame in going out and emulating the game to kind of replay and re-experience some of these classic games. I didn't even bring up Fire Emblem in this video. <laughs> or, sorry, this podcast. Fire Emblem is such an amazing game, too, and it's another great example of games that are impossible to find. Because uh, Fire Emblem, in case you're unaware, is that, like, tactical... Uh, fantasy strategy game that's made by Intelligent Software, I'm pretty sure. And uh, the first release for the US was actually the Game Boy Advance release. And it's just titled Fire Emblem, even though it was called something else overseas. And that game is phenomenal. But it's so expensive and it's impossible to find. And likewise, they also made another game, the same people who made Fire Emblem, called Advance Wars. Uh, which is really, really good as well. Advance Wars is actually getting a Switch remake later this year in the form of Advance Wars uh, 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp or something like that. Um, so look out for that because that should be a really, really good way to experience Advance Wars again because those games are excellent as well. Uh, but the original Fire Emblem stands the test of time as one of the more impossible to find Game Boy Advance games that are really, really good. And there's a lot of hidden gems as well if you go digging. The Game Boy Advance had so many great games. And I feel like once the DS came out and everybody had a DS, everybody kind of forgot just how great the Game Boy Advance was. So it's important for diehard Nintendo fans like me and possibly like you to keep the legacy of the Game Boy Advance alive by talking about these lesser known games and giving them the spotlight that they deserve. Um, but folks, that's all I've got for you today. Uh, keep an eye out on the next couple episodes. I've got a couple interesting ones planned. I've got an HRAT episode to record. It's been a fun series to work on so far. Uh, but yeah, lots of great new podcast content in the works. Having lots of fun. Uh, playing lots of games. Watching lots of shows. I don't know. If the GB operator turns out to suck or if it never shows up, I'll do a follow-up or I'll talk shit about it. Uh, the Steam Deck is also set to come out almost a month from when I'm recording this. And then I'm supposed to get mine sometime in the next three, four months or so. Uh, so when that happens, make sure you stay tuned to this podcast channel as well because I'm going to be talking about my experiences with the Steam Deck a lot. And for Horizon Forbidden West comes out next month, which is really exciting as well. And then in April, we get the Lego Star Wars game. Oh, I hope it's good. There's so much good stuff coming out these days. It's awesome. It's a really good time to be a gamer. Uh, but folks, have a fantastic day, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.